You're listening to Beltway Beef, official commentary from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association's Washington, D.C. office. Welcome back to Beltway Beef. This is Ashley, and today I'm joined by Dusty Holly, who's the Director of Field Services for Florida Cattlemen, and Pat Durden, who's the first Vice President for Florida Cattlemen. We're so happy to have you both on the podcast today. We're glad to be here. Thanks for inviting us. Today, we are talking all about WOTUS, or Waters of the United States, and this is something that we have heard a lot about lately in mainstream media and and in industry media, as most recently, the U.S. District Court in Arizona made a decision to strike down the 2020 Navigable Waters Protection Rule, or the NWPR, and we know this as the 2020 Rule or the Trump Administration Rule on waters of the United States. And so the Biden administration had already announced that they were going to do a repeal and replace process, but the court striking down the NWPR really sets the stage for the Biden and Harris administration to create a new rule and then potentially an overexpansive rule. So Pat and Dusty, really excited just to pick your brains on this and, and to help people understand why Waters of the United States regulation impacts the cattle industry in the significant way that it does. So, Pat, from a producer perspective, can you just start out by telling us, you know, a little bit about your operation and how WOTUS regulations affect you and and farmers and ranchers just like you? I'm from the panhandle of Florida, which is a little narrow strip from Georgia and the Alabama line to the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, we're a cow-calf operation and seed stock, but we're, we're small. We're on hundreds of acres, not thousands of acres. We have numerous springs, creeks, ponds, wet weather ponds, and, um, you know, we're obviously no more than an hour away from the Gulf of Mexico. So there's no way that they can create a, a water regulation that would not have some impact on, on just our little small operation in uh, the panhandle. But what I would like them to really know is that, you know, we we already do everything we possibly can to, to make sure the water that, that comes onto our ranch and leaves our ranch as clean as possible. I mean, it, it goes downstream to our neighbors, our family members, and, and we're already working with state and local uh, officials and have been for, for, for years and years. Um, so I'm not quite sure what the federal regulations will, you know, will come out of this administration, uh, how they will change things we have to do. But, you know, there's there's so many questions about how something comes out of Washington and and then it, it goes through all these different hands. I mean, obviously, we, re- we rely heavily on our on our state cattlemen's association and NCBA to try and decipher what what this stuff means. It's, it's very complicated and confusing for producers a lot of times. And I think you bring up some really good points there. And one thing that you touched on is that farmers and ranchers are already focusing on conservation practices and, and trying to preserve high quality water. And that's something I want to come back to a little bit later. But Dusty, can you just kind of give us an overview of the history of the WOTUS regulations? And so why was NWPR more favorable for the cattle and beef industry? Sure. And we can go back. Uh, my personal history with 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 WOTUS uh, goes back a little ways. I, in a, in a former life, uh, worked on the Hill. This was a huge issue. Uh, Water of the United States was. And, you know, we thought way back then that that uh, 
that we had kind of come to an end of the fight over water to the United States because of the Rapanos decision in the Supreme Court. We thought, okay, it's taken care of. It's just navigable waters. Um, it's something we can all live with. We can plan for. We can move forward. And then the Obama administration came in and put what we in the in the cattle industry and in a lot of other industries saw as a massive federal overreach, right? To where the type of of uh, waters that they were trying to uh, to regulate were way beyond the scope of the Clean Water Act. But it it was meant for large scale navigable waters. That was the intent. And this Obama era uh, rule was coming out there and, and and getting down to to all these just ephemeral streams and and these uh, these ditches and these water holes that held water sometime of the year, not others. And you, know, you had a significant nexus of and all these confusing words to farmers and ranchers like, what does this mean? It's not a big navigable water. Why is it being regulated? In a state like Florida, man, we already have a great Department of Ag with an Office of Ag Water Policy that we work hand in hand in on best management practices, on payment for environmental services, on, on water projects. That's just on the Department of Ag side. And then in the state of Florida, our DEP, our Department of Environmental Protection, has five water management districts that we worked hand in hand in on water storage, water quality, water quantity programs. So we're already working with regulators. We're being regulated by the state on multiple levels. And then all of a sudden, this Obama era rule brings a federal level on those same waters. And we saw it as a big overreach. And if you've ever spent much time in Florida, you know there's three or four months out of year where most people's yards have standing water in them, in the yard. And under the definition back then, that could have been a waters of the United States. I mean, how how ludicrous, right? How, how crazy, how far from this navigable water that we started with, how did we get to these drainage ditches and ditches in farm fields potentially being under federal jurisdiction. It just didn't make any sense. And so we in the industry, you know, made our voices heard and worked really hard and worked with the Trump administration later to get a rule put out there that many of us could live with. You know, say, okay, this is where it is. We have no problem being regulated, doing the right thing, because we're already doing great conservation efforts and we have nothing to hide. But this is an overreach. Let's put you federal government where you need to be looking and the state governments on these other spots. So we worked and we we went through this rulemaking process and we submitted com- comments and, and, you know, out came a rule that certainly wasn't perfect, but something that gave us a nice set of guidelines moving forward to where, okay, it's pretty clear. This is a water of the United States. This is not. Doesn't seem to be a huge amount of federal overreach. Great. Just like with the Rapanos decision beforehand, we're back to something that's manageable for agriculture, manageable for municipalities. I mean, municipalities had a huge problem with the Obama era rule. Uh, so it was manageable for a lot of different industries and a lot of different places and in a very diverse geographic places. It could fit in places like Florida. It could fit in places like Arizona, which hydrology, completely different. So we thought we were in a really nice place to where we could all move forward, again, not without regulation, but with something that could work for many of us and still allow the states 
to regulate the bodies of water they needed to regulate without being duplicative. So here we are, and I know that's maybe more of a history than you wanted. We're, we, again, in this industry are all for clean water, all for a good quantity of water, and we want to work to make that happen. But this duplicative regulation is just onerous, and it's certainly the farthest thing from efficiently allowing us to do a good job and be stewards of the land that we are. I would like, if we can, on this same subject, because I, I think, Pat, uh, I've heard him mention it in our own casual conversations before, uh, Pat kind of brings a, a unique perspective from that small to medium-sized rancher on on what, what over-regulation does in the mindset of those ranchers. We have a pile of small and medium-sized ranchers, and they're just as important to us and just as important to NCBA and just as important to this industry as those large ranchers. Pat had a really neat perspective that he's brought up to me. And, and if we can, I'd like to hear his his take on that. I don't want to like paint anybody or any agency as really, really bad actors. I, I think there's a lot of people that have good motives with, with their intent of some of these rules and regulations, but they, they need to take a much broader view of what those uh, those regulations or 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 bills actually do on the ground. So the point is to me that if you create something and on paper it looks like it's a great thing for for water and the environment. but if it creates a burden, on the small producer, which it's also on the large producer. I mean, I don't mean to say that it's not. If you if you overregulate and you take that small ranch and it becomes such a burden that the rancher decides it's not worth it anymore because it's maybe not their main source of income. So if you create a huge burden on them and, and a lot of these properties are, are very valuable once they're taken out of ag uh, for development, especially in Florida. I mean, we have a thousand people a day moving here. I mean, if that land is no longer in ag, I mean, what replaces it? It's replaced with a subdivision, a strip mall, a golf course. It's certainly not going to be better for water quality and the environment. So they've got to really thread a needle here uh, when they're trying to do these things, because, you know, once you start losing production acres, whether it be ranches or farms, it you know, you're going to run into some major problems there. And that's kind of my view of that. Uh, I would like to also just say, you know, Florida is is a very diverse state. You can't make a rule that works in Florida. Uh, I mean, across the whole state, it's got to be implemented differently and really you know, looked at on the ground to see how it's really going to work. I mean, there's just such a, a a very wide ranging difference between ranches in South Florida and Central Florida and and North Florida and the Panhandle. I mean, so to try and do that across the country almost seems ludicrous to me. Uh, it, it's just not reasonable. So I always love a good quote. And uh, I I looked up one. I kind of look up one every day. This one is from uh, President Truman. And it's amazing what you can accomplish if you do not care who gets the credit. And and maybe the federal government should step back and look at what we're doing on the ground in states and, and, and see how they can help that with maybe funding, you know, the programs that are working 
and, and kind of step away from creating more rules from Washington that that really are sometimes a duplication of regulation, sometimes an overreach of regulation. I mean, they really just don't have a good perspective on what's going on on the ground. And I think they need to recognize that if they want to accomplish the goals they say they want to accomplish, which is clean, fresh water for all Americans and, you know, preserving uh, our wildlife and plant life habitat. I think farmers and ranchers do an excellent job of that. Just a one little note, we have, uh, you know, we have the Florida panther. Everybody doesn't know that we have a panther in Florida. But so it, the FWC, the Florida Wildlife Commission, estimates that over 50% of the habitat used by the Florida panther is ranch lands. So ranchers are the reason there is a Florida panther still. If not, but for the rancher, uh, you know, it would be extinct, along with many other endangered species and plant life in Florida. And, and these these huge accomplishments need to be recognized and they need to really see why that worked. And it worked because it was ranch land and we are a benefit to water quality and the environment. And it's from small to large, we're critical across the state and the country for that matter. Dusty and Pat, that was just such a great overview of what Waters of the United States is and how it impacts farmers and ranchers and how overregulation can really pose incredible challenges to making sure that farms and ranches can be viable for generations to come. So really appreciate both of you walking us through that. And that's all the time that we have for today, but we'll have you back on the podcast soon to discuss how farmers and ranchers are already making significant investments in conservation of natural resources. And we'll talk about what the path forward is going to look like. So thank you so much for joining today. And we look forward to having you on in the future. This has been another episode of Beltway Beef. Don't forget to check us out online at policy.ncba.org or catch the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from, including SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. 